So we are going to be starting a series today. I'm kicking it off. Anyone know what the series is? Other than John, anyone see the social media at all? Cyrus? Armor of God. Armor of God, that's right. It was suddenly put to a halt by COVID because McKenna kicked it off back in March. I don't know if any of you remember that. It was the first Wednesday in March, and then the next week we couldn't come to church because they shut it down. <laughs> so, so we're doing a reboot. That's all right. We're all used to reboots with movies nowadays, right? <laughs> so, like I said, we're doing Armor of God. The series is called Armor Up. Um, anyone know the pieces of the armor? There's six of them. Can you name off a couple? What you got, Corey? Righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness, yep, that's one of them. Anyone else? Huh? Quinn, what you got? Uh, the belt of truth. Uh-huh. Uh, the shoes of faith, right? No. Shoes of peace. Shoes of yeah. Peace. Faith is a different one. There you go. Sword of the Spirit. Boom. Sword of the Spirit. That's right. That's right. So we're going to be camping out in Ephesians for a while. Um, each week we're going to do a different... Oh, yeah, it's a good place to camp out. There's, there's a... Like he just said, a few of them. And so each week we're going to focus on a different one. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, if you have your Bibles, is where... It starts off talking about the armor of God and the importance of it. So I'm going to read it. ESV says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So, why do we need the armor of God? It says it in there twice. On the front, and on the back of what I read. Why do you guys think we need the armor of God? What's the importance of it? Corbin, what you got? Stand firm? Stand firm against what? The enemy. The enemy. In when? Battle. Battle. Evil days. <laughs> right now. You guys have right. good days and bad days? Yeah. Yeah? You guys have some bad days? Yeah. COVID's caused a lot of them this year. <laughs> right? But, I mean, there's, there's days of evil. There's days that seem to be worse than others. And that's, that's true. I mean, you don't have to live long on this earth to know that. Um, my kids already know that reality. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been here that long. <laughs> There's good days they have and bad days. And it affects the people around it. But we need the armor of God to be able to stand firm against the enemy. Specifically, it says here, against the schemes of the devil. You guys think it would be important to know what the schemes of the devil are if we need the armor to stand up against them? I would say, yeah. I mean, you got to know what you're looking out for. You gotta know what you're preparing to fight against, right? 
We need to be prepared for those battles. And we will have battles we face and days of evil that we encounter. That's inevitable. Those things are going to come. They're going to happen. Some of you might have had one today. But what do you guys think the schemes of the devil are? The Bible has some passages that lay them out pretty, pretty clearly. What you got, John? He comes to kill, to steal, steal and, and destroy. destroy. That's right. It's funny how nobody puts it in order. <laughs> <laughs> they always put kill first. And it's... So in John 10.10, 10, NIV, he's quoting a passage. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations say, have it in abundance or more abundantly. Why we call ourselves Abundant Life Fellowship is this verse right here. That's where it comes from. That's one of them. There's multiple spots that says Abundant Life. She knows which one it is. Fine. This is one of them, right? You're joking. Well, it's a common name. You search Abundant Life. There's many of them around the nation. But yeah, so those are three, right? What were they? What were the three examples? Not John. John 10.10. 10. What does the enemy come to do? Steal, One, two, three. Steal, kill, kill and, destroy. and destroy. So those are three obvious ones. Very plain there, right? Biggest three things. The devil wants to steal from you. He wants you dead. He wants to destroy your life. Plain and simple. He really wants to do that. And it sucks, right? You guys feel the effects of the enemy trying to do that against you? I know I do. This virus is an obvious example. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. <laughs> That's going on all over. That's right. He's always trying to do these three things, though. I mean, that's just what he does. Another, another passage of Scripture, John 8, 44, in the last half of it, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning. And this is Jesus talking about the devil. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what's the fourth thing that he does? A fourth scheme of the devil. Lies. He's a liar. He's trying to lie. In fact, that's the very first thing that he did to Adam and Eve in order to steal, kill, and destroy them. First method he used was lying. He asked them about the truth that God told them, and then he said, Are you sure that's what God said? He doesn't say that. He was lying to them. No, he definitely said that. So he, he tries to lie to them, which biggest thing when it comes to the devil and what he tells you guys, do not trust a word he says, ever. No word of his is trustworthy. It's not reliable, ever. This says here, when he lies, he speaks his native language. That's, that's his native language. He doesn't speak any other language either. <laughs> He's not bilingual. <laughs> He's just a liar. He's a liar and the father lies, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. You guys can't rely on him at all. And there's people that say, I sold my soul to the devil. It's a dangerous place to be, guys. Because <laughs> there's nothing reliable from him. 
So what are the four things I've listed so far? Three of them are from one verse. Steal, kill, destroy. And the fourth one is what? Lies. Deception. He tries to deceive us. And one way he really does that is by trying to cause separation from relationships with each other and friendships. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. That's interesting. And then he says, For we are not unaware of his schemes. Meaning, we know he's trying to lie to us. We know he's trying to cause us to not forgive each other. Because who here has ever been upset with somebody? And you're angry with them, you're so bitter with them, you didn't even talk to them, and when you finally do talk to them, is everything that you heard or believed the truth? Sometimes. Sometimes, right? <laughs> Sometimes it is. But other times, the devil is just lying to you when you're not in conversation with them to cause division between you two, and then when you finally go talk to them, you're like, oh my gosh, that was totally different than I thought it was. I believed a lie about this whole situation and I was upset with you for nothing. I've had that happen to me with family, with friends where I'm upset with them or they're upset with me. And then when we finally talk about what is dividing us, we're like, wow, that was a stupid argument. <laughs> I never should have been upset about that. And it's the enemy trying to lie to you to bring division in your life. So those are really the four, the four main things that I see in Scripture. There's, there's other ways the devil tries to do things. But those are the big four, I would say. But one question is, when you're hearing something, when you're trying to figure out, okay, I heard this thing, is it from God or is it from something else? Is it me? Is it the devil trying to deceive me? Have you guys ever asked that question? Is this reliable? Can I trust this? God's mission for our life is to have life to the fullest. But one big test we are given is in John, 1 John 4, verse 1 through 3. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So what was, what was John talking about there? Saying, test the spirits. If there's a spirit that's come after you or a thought that's come to your mind, you're like, oh, I need to figure out whether this is God telling me this or not. Well, the biggest thing he's saying here is you can recognize the spirit of God because it acknowledges Jesus Christ. You guys can do that. I know for myself, I've done that where I'm spending time with the Lord and praying and I'm like, okay, is... Jesus, the Son of God, born from a virgin, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again, and he set me free. 
You can ask these spirits that thing. And I know it sounds weird talking about spirits and all that, but they're real. They're real things, right? If you guys believe that God's real, it says that God is spirit. That's what it says in John. So spirits are real. And we got to test those things to see if they're reliable, to see if they're trustworthy, and whether it's something that we can, we can follow or not. We got to test if something is true. This is an important skill to learn because the enemy's aim is to deceive us and get us off track, right? We want to make sure that we're testing those things to see, all right, is this something that's trying to deceive me or is this something that's trustworthy that I can, that I can listen to? Battles are inevitable, like I said. We need to be ready for the battles. The enemy is going to bring at us. Every soldier is ready and equipped for battle even when they aren't in the midst of war. They're prepared for it. This passage is all about spiritual warfare in Ephesians. And we're in the midst of a battle for our souls. And here's the big thing. We don't suit up when we encounter the enemy, but we suit up before we do. How foolish would it be for our military to have all of our soldiers go to the front lines just in civilian clothes and then suit up right there at the front line. You guys think that would be smart? That would be stupid. It would be embarrassing for us to the enemy. They'd be laughing at us like, wow. And then they just mow us over because we're not ready to defend ourselves. Imagine, imagine that happening at the front lines. I mean, who here has seen Lord of the Rings? Imagine them coming to the, the front lines and they're like, oh wait, now I got to put my armor on. It's like, no. That would be a mistake. Was that? Kind of kind of did that? Yeah. Gandalf only needed a robe. That's all he needed. <laughs> he was clothed with righteousness. <laughs> he had the breastplate of righteousness, right? No, he didn't. But, but we don't suit up when we encounter the enemy, but before we do. And it's time we armor up, right? If you guys don't have the armor on, if you're not prepared for battle with the enemy, get prepared. Because they're coming. The enemy is on his way, and he's, he's ready to pounce already, actually. So, what were some of the armor? Well, let's read the passage. Ephesians 6, just following what I read at the start, says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Right, Quinn? First one. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Corwin mentioned as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God belt of truth is mentioned what? first it's the first one mentioned you guys think that's kind of weird? you imagine a belt first for the entire armor? Would you guys ever... <laughs> yeah, you don't want your pants falling down, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Out of all the pieces of armor, when you think of a suit of armor, you put a belt in the list? If you do, it's probably because of this passage. <laughs> I know without this passage, I probably wouldn't list it. I'm like, belt's not that necessary. I mean... I mean, I feel like it's 
needed. That's right, pants on the ground, you wanna play it? So I got a song for you. This came out 10 years ago. You playing it? There you go. <laughs> this is this is a throwback for all us millennials. <laughs> Thank you too far. I don't know why, but it should be. <laughs> this is the song. <laughs> this is basically the whole thing. You just keep saying this over and over. <laughs> All right, you can stop. Where's that from? <laughs> so where's that from, John? You remember? American Idol, that's right. Who here ever watched American Idol? Anybody? A little bit. That was the original voice. The voice is a big one now. Oh yeah, I did too. My mom was nuts about American Idol. Watched every season, every episode, every week, over and over. Yeah, and oh yeah, oh joy. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so that's just a funny song because we're talking about belts and I figured it'd be hilarious. <laughs> And that guy, he was like 62 when he did that song. He comes on American Idol, 62 years old, and he starts singing this song he made. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Anyways, Roman soldiers didn't wear pants. They had tunics, so they didn't need to keep their pants up. But interesting fact, though, they, they did need to, they would use the belt to pull the tunic up and fasten it so they could be able to run better because they didn't have this tunic dragging on the ground or anything. So they would use it in a similar sense, but that's not the primary function that it had. <laughs> tunic on the ground? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's... So here's some uh, fun facts about the word truth in the Bible. It is listed 97 times in the New Testament in the ESV translation. The word truth is used that many times. 97 times. 26 times alone are in the Gospel of John. 26 times. That's a lot. Um, John's profession? Uh, tax collector, you know. <laughs> Different John. <laughs> Uh, fisherman, I think he was fisherman with Peter. Yeah, yeah, they were pretty tight. Um, so yeah, like I said, 26 times in the Gospel of John alone, which is more than any other book of the Bible that mentions the word truth. It's over half the entire Old Testament usage of the word, which is 44 times in the book of John alone. Over half of the Old Testament's usage of it. That's a lot. The word truth is used 46 times in all of the John writings, other than Revelation. It's not listed there, in ESV translation at least. So if you include 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Gospel of John, 46 times the word truth is used. Which is nearly half of the entire usage in the New Testament, and more than the whole Old Testament. John thought truth was pretty important, and that we needed to know it.
talks about it a lot. And all of this to say that the idea of truth is very important and something that we should desire to know. We should want to know the truth. I mean, if God thought it was important enough to write it that many times, right? We should, we should be serious about seeking after it and desiring it and desiring to know it. Truth should shape our lives, not the other way around. Our lives shouldn't shape truth because truth, you can't shape it. <laughs> you can try to, but it's just going to break you. <laughs> and Paul knew that truth was necessary and he needed to have it represented in the metaphor for armor. He knew that it needed to be represented in that example. So why, why a belt for it? Why did he use the belt for the metaphor for the armor and applying truth to the belt? Because it holds everything together. Holds everything together. Did you read my notes? No. <laughs> Just kidding. I believe there's two really big reasons. In a way, it does hold everything together because of what it is. It supports the Word of God and makes it trustworthy. McKenna, what did you preach on when you did it? Sword of the Spirit. It's the last one that's listed in the, in the list, which I think it's really interesting that on the front end and the back end, you've got the two pieces of the armor that are completely dependent on each other. Because if you didn't know, the scabbard for the sword, which is the sheath, it's what you put the sword into to hold it, was attached to the belt. So if you didn't bring your belt to battle, what else wasn't coming with you? <laughs> Your sword's not going to be there. Unless you're just going to hold the thing the whole time. But their shields that they used in Roman armor, they were like full body shields. In some ways, they needed both arms to do it. So that's why they would put their sword there to be able to grab the shield. So you need, you need your sword, right? You need your sword in battle. The biggest thing I see in light of this passage in Ephesians is that the sword represents the Word of God, so the truth is what holds up the Word of God. You guys can rely on God's Word because it's true. Because it's true. Ooh. Wind. You can rely on it because it's, it's the truth. It's trustworthy. If it wasn't trustworthy, would we be able to depend on it? Would you be able to rely on what God tells you if you had to question if He was telling you the truth or not? I don't think so. That would be that would be a terrible way to live, right? The word of God says that his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Why is that? It's because it's true. It's because it's the truth. It's because it's dependable and reliable. We don't have to question its integrity. I'm glad I numbered these. I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> Gotta number the pages. So like I said, it's what held the sword. If you didn't bring your sword, why are you wearing a belt? <laughs> and if you didn't bring a belt, you don't have a sword. They're kind of dependent on each other. They rely on each other. I don't really think it's a coincidence that Paul used it on the front end and the back end of what holds everything together. Like Cyrus said, you got truth on the front end and then what's attached to it on the back side of the scripture, which is the Word of God. To go to war without either one would be foolish, right? If you're going to war, you need a weapon, right? You're going to need a sword to fight, as well as a, 
a belt to keep your pants off the ground. <laughs> right? No? That wasn't funny? I thought it was a little funny. <laughs> but today in our culture, truth is said to be relative. It's individualistic. It's your truth is not my truth. There's many types of truth. Each person decides for themselves what truth is. But by definition, that's impossible. The definition of truth is that which is actual or fact. If you guys were to take a test and put down an answer and then you failed it, and you go talk to your professor or teacher and say, well, that's the true answer to me. <laughs> you think it's gonna change your grade? No, it's gonna make no difference for you. <laughs> Especially you, because your mother's your teacher, right? <laughs> but it's, it's gonna get you nowhere. It's like, no. There's one true answer, is it. And that's the one I wanted for you to get the point for the, for the test. It's impossible to say that there's two things that are truth, because there can really only be one. Truth cannot be one thing to one person and something else to another, there's only one. And like Tim shared on Sunday, truth has to be exclusive. I don't know if you guys listen to the sermon, I suggest it. But he talks about that. He says that truth has to be exclusive because of what it is. You can't have truth be not exclusive. It requires it. It must be sound and perfect. So let me give you an example in regards to this armor that we're talking about. If the belt a soldier started to started with and had for for war started to tear it would need to be replaced or the soldier would be at risk of his sword falling because the weight of the sword could cause the belt to rip even further and fall off. It has to be of complete integrity or it would be a problem for battle. Like I said, the weight of the sword alone would tear it apart. And then where would his weapon be? It'd be behind him. <laughs> And if he's got a whole bunch of people that he's going to war with, I mean, the thing might have been trampled on, he might have a hard time finding the thing. I mean, you never know. Roman soldiers, they made a lot of noise. Because <laughs> their belt itself had stuff on it that would clink around and make a lot of noise. So if they're in a legion, which is a hundred soldiers together, walking into battle, you may not even hear your sword drop. And that's a problem. You get to the front lines and you're like, all right, here we go. Wait a second. <laughs> Oh shoot, where's my sword? <laughs> where's my belt? <laughs> I know I put it on. <laughs> my pants are on the ground. <laughs> Might drop your tunic and then you know, right? <laughs> maybe, just maybe. <laughs> but if truth wasn't perfect, it couldn't support the word of the perfect one. Let me say that again. If truth wasn't perfect, what? Yeah truth wasn't perfect, it wouldn't be able to support the word of the perfect one. Because he says some pretty weighty stuff, right? He says some things that need something to be able to support it, which is truth. We got to rely on it. To say that God is perfect, but he says what he says isn't always perfect, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. 
doesn't make any sense logically to say that the perfect one can speak in perfection. It's truth. What he says is truth, and we can rely on it and depend on it. And we need to stand for truth. What are some truth claims in the scripture? Any of you know? Talking about truth. Truth claims. Big one. Jesus said, and it's one of the I am statements in John, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's, that's a big statement, guys. <laughs> For him to say something like that was groundbreaking. I was like, what? For one, you're claiming yourself to be God. And two, no man can bear that weight. Well, they can if they're perfect. <laughs> Which he was, right? So he's making a big claim. And if he is God... And it is true, because like I said, what God says is perfect. It can't be imperfect. So if he is God, then we, I mean, we should probably rely on it and depend on it. Because if you're not, and he's telling the truth, I mean, that doesn't look so good for you. John 4, 24, ESV says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship, what, Katie? Spirit and truth. I figured you'd know this one. <laughs> God is spirit, and we should worship him in spirit and truth. It's interesting that truth is listed there. Not just in spirit, but we should be true in our worship. Psalm 11960 says, 160, sorry. 119, it goes like 175, I think. That's how many verses are in it. Biggest chapter in the whole Bible, if you didn't know. It says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. In a way, that one verse is the summary of like that entire chapter. The whole thing is about that. Some of your word is truth. It's reliable. It's dependable. It endures forever. It's unfailing. It's always been and it always will be. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Rejoices with the lies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it rejoices with the truth. Love and truth are one. Can't separate the two. If God is love and truth, it should be no surprise that the disciple John who had such a revelation of the love of God, spoke about the truth of God more than anybody in the whole Bible. Because <laughs> they were intertwined. You can't separate the two. My content? <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Last part I got for you. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. ESV, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in what? What did I say? In love, right? You got to speak the truth in love. If you're not speaking the truth in love, I mean, it's not going to make any difference. <laughs> you're just, just making noise. That's what 
That's what Paul talks about. He says, you do things without love, even if it's the right thing, it, it's meaningless. It's just a noisy gong, gong or clanging cymbal. You're just making a bunch of noise. Don't want to do that, right? Well, like I said, the first thing, first thing about the belt is that it, it what? You guys remember what I said? Supports the word of God. It's trustworthy. We can rely on it. We can depend on it. I'm not used to having papers. <laughs> the second part is it sets us apart from others. Truth, if you have it a part of you, will separate you from the rest. It will separate you from those that do not follow truth. Another thing about the belt of truth, it wasn't just used to hold the sword in place and to be able to carry it. It was also something that the soldiers actually wore when they weren't even in full armor. Their belt that they wore on the daily was their military belt. Which means what? They had their sword with them all it too. <laughs> they were carrying, not just concealing. But they, they had this thing with them at all times. They were wearing the belt everywhere they went. You would be able to distinguish somebody as a Roman soldier from the crowd because of the belt they wore. And it was a really obvious one. This belt that they wore, it, it stretched down to here. It had these leather straps that come down and had these metal things on the end. And the status in the military was dependent on Kind of like how loud your belt was, <laughs> really. So the, there were two things that they would wear. Three things of the armor that they had, which is half of it, right? So that listed six things. So they would have the belt, which had the sword, and then they'd have the shoes on. They would always have those with them. And they just said, all right, time for battle. I just put on my helmet, rest play of righteousness, boom, grab my shield, good to go. They carried it with them everywhere. They wore it everywhere. It's supposed to set us apart, right? The truth that we lean on and rely on and depend on should be something that makes us stand out from the crowd. If you trust in God's word and stand for it, it will set you apart because why? It's truth. And so the other side... The devil is the father of what? Lies. They're completely in opposition to each other. Totally opposing one another. They're not similar in any way. <laughs> they always wore the belt everywhere they went. John 17, 17 through 19. This is the passage that Tim shared on Sunday. Sanctify them in the truth. This is what Jesus was praying for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus himself, whose truth made flesh, is telling God, your word is truth. When he's God himself. If anyone we can rely on and depend on for that to be true, it's Jesus, right? If that came from anybody else, I don't know if I'd believe it. But we can rely on it because of who said it. As you sent me into the world, so 
I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Tim talked about how sanctification means set apart. So that truth sets us apart. It should set us apart. We should be seen as different. We should be obvious as being different from those around us if they don't depend on the truth and if they're not sanctified in truth, right? It will make you stand out, and it's meant to. That truth is found in God's Word because it is supported by His truth. To take a stand for truth is also to take a stand for love. And to take a stand for love is to take a stand for truth. Truth and love cannot be separated. To love someone is to share the truth with them. It also means you're supposed to share the truth lovingly. Right? Like I read. Sharing the truth in love. If there's somebody that you want to share the truth with, but you're like, I don't know if I can do that. Because I know it's just going to... I mean, the world tells us you telling me how to live life is not loving. Everyone, their truth is for themselves. But guys, like I said, that's unreliable. We can't, that's impossible to say that truth is different for every person. Because it doesn't work. First John, this is the last thing I have, last verse. 3.18 Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So my question for you is, have you been loving in word and talk? Or more than that, in deed and truth? Are you standing for truth? Like those two things, do you realize that the word of God is reliable because of the truth of it? And two, are you somebody who it sets you apart from the rest? It should be obvious that you have the belt of truth on, right? Just like those Roman soldiers. I wish I could have shown you pictures of the belt. I mean, the thing is, like, obvious. <laughs> There's no way of mistaking it. It's not just this little leather strap that goes around their waist. Like my blizzard belt. <laughs> we'll tell you about that later. Ask Caitlin. <laughs> But it's, it's something that should be obvious in your life, right? People should know what you stand for. It shouldn't be a question. They shouldn't be able to question your stance on truth or lie. On what's true, what you believe to be true, and what you believe not to be. It's something that you can depend on and lean on. And it's something the world needs, right? Jesus came that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. And that's something that we can trust and believe, amen? So I'm going to pray and we'll get into groups here. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it and that it is true. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that is questioning that, that's wrestling whether or not they can depend on it and trust it, Lord, I, I just pray that you would reveal your truth to them. Open their eyes, their understanding of how incredible your word is and how wonderful it is. Like it says all throughout Psalm 119, your word is true. 
Your word is truth and it endures forever. It's reliable. We can depend on it. We can lean on it and stand on it. Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would resound in our life, that it would be obvious to the world. And Lord, that it would be a witness, that we would be a witness of your goodness in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.